Welcome to the Fixed Ops Roundtable podcast, featuring Ted Ings and his distinguished guests. Each week, you'll gain valuable insights to level up your game in retail automotive's fixed operations. This episode is brought to you by BG Products, partners beyond products. And now, here's Ted Ings. Welcome back to the Fixed Ops Roundtable Roaring Twenties event. And it is so great to see Steve Greenfield from Motor Ventures here with us at the Roaring Twenties. Steve, welcome back to the Fixed Ops Roundtable. Ted, thanks for having me. Uh, super excited to be here. And Steve, you, you you really fit the part. You really look like you belong in the in the in the nineteen twenties. Well, I tried to dress up for the occasion. I mean, look at you. Exactly. And you know what though? It's such it's so amazing the technology and how rapidly things are happening right now in our industry. And uh, there's nobody better than you. You're right on top of all that stuff. Well, it's it's great that this is you know the themes of the twenties because you know I, I, I had a new book out earlier this summer. Uh, it's been out for about two months now. And, uh, you know, the, the, the central thesis to that book is, you know, we're going to see more change in the next five or 10 years than we've seen in the last hundred. So here we are, 100 anniversary of this attire. And, uh, you know, put, put, putting that into perspective that just this pace of change is, is, is really amazing for all of us kind of to, to be riding this wave right now. Yeah, I agree. And congratulations on the book as well. Um, you know, a lot of accolades going on right now. So I'm excited what you got to share with our uh, with our audience today. So uh, that's great. So if we, yeah, we can flip over to the slides here. As I said, the, the book's out. So um, if any of, of um, the audience today wants a copy, just reach out to me. It's simply Steve at automotiveventures.com. Happy to, to send you a copy. You can also find it on, on Amazon. We've got, you know, the physical copy. If you like the old school read, uh, if you like a digital copy, and we've also got an audio book out. So uh, any of the three, and again, just just ping me or go on to Amazon, whichever you'd like, and lo- love to not only have you read it, but also give your feedback. So let, let me know whether there's things you, you like about the book, if there's things that are controversial and you don't like. But um, as you said, Ted, I've been I'm very pleasantly um, um, surprised with the, the reception and the fact that I think it's it's forcing the right conversations at the right levels in the industry. Your timing for this book, Steve, could not be any better. Well, thanks. Well, I, I think so, too. And, you know, there's a lot of, like I said earlier, there's a lot of change coming. And, you know, just trying to provide a framework for that to, to, to folks. Love it. So, um, so Ted, let me move a little bit ahead. Maybe I'll, I'll put into, into context a little bit of the book for those that haven't had a chance to see it. And, and maybe even better for those that have had a chance to read through some of the chapters. But, um, you know, anywhere, anywhere we look, and Ted, you and I have had this conversation now, numerous times or anywhere you look across the industry, there's a bunch of change coming, right? Not the least of which is to the franchise dealer network. There's a lot of talk about OEMs going to more of an agency model and re- really just redefining the relationship between the, the manufacturer and the dealer, where the manufacturer will take much more control over inventory, advertising, and the consumer experience. And in, in the extreme example that we're seeing over in Europe and down in Australia, deal- dealers are, are largely redefined into just being an agent where they are a point of distribution for the consumer to come in and pick up the car they've already ordered um, and, and still service the vehicles. But um, you know, servicing on, on the other side, there's a lot of angst right now because as we move very aggressively to electrification, those cars are going to be much more reliable, uh, fewer moving parts. So both from a, a service interval standpoint and a parts standpoint, um, you know, th- these, these, uh, these vehicles are going to be much more reliable and just be in, in the shop less, less frequently, right? So 
across all of these elements, it's, it's a lot for the average industry participant to digest. And um, so what we've done as a complement to the, to the book is tried to provide a framework for that. So lo- love to chat a little bit about that t- today, and then we can poke and prod around on it. But um, as any you know, typical risk assessment, you try to evaluate the probability of anything happening. And then if it does happen, what the, the magnitude of the effect is, right? So you can then, for, for any individual theme that we just looked at, you can plot them on here and say, okay, well, the things that are very probable and also have a high impact would be up in the red. Hmm. If things are either improbable and or have low impact if they hit, it's like we can put them in green and, and ignore them for now. So we, we don't get overwhelmed with all of these different issues. We can actually just focus on the ones that have a higher probability and a higher impact. So what, what, what I've done and you know, ha- had great dialogue since we released this about two, year, two, two months ago now is provide what we're calling the Automotive Ventures Retail Risk Assessment. So breaking down the, the 16 different trends uh, with a definition of each and, you know, uh, providing the prop for, from my vantage point, people can differ and we're happy to have that, that dialogue, but the probability and the magnitude of these things happening, which then allows us to map all of these 16 different elements onto one grid hmm. and spend time looking and saying, okay, so, you know, if I'm an industry participant, which of these things am I okay to kind of ignore, monitor, but ignore for now? But which ones should I spend the most time on? So, um, you know, with your permission, Ted, I wouldn't mind digging into a couple of these today, and then we can have some conversation about them. I am keenly interested. Uh, I had a dealer reach out to me uh, last evening, a small dealer uh, who's got uh, uh, life savings tied up in their dealership and said, you know what? I've got everything on the line with my store. We're doing very well, you know, but we're having a tough time getting inventory. There's all this talk about the agency model. There's a talk, you know, electrification is coming. He goes, I need to really understand where we're headed. So you're right on the money, Steve. Yeah. And, and, and Ted, I mean, I get that conversation all the time. I, I have the, the luxury of being able to talk as you do to a bunch of owners every week. And um, you know, the question I, I often get is how big do I need to be? Um, given all of these changes that are going on in the industry, how big do I need to be to, to feel comfortable at night that I have a defensible business? And I think that um, for the single rooftop dealer who's beholden to one manufacturer, it's really tough, right? Because if that manufacturer is very um, generous and um, understanding of the value of franchise dealers, we're, we're, they're, they're good. But if you happen to be aligned with a, a, a manufacturer that, say, does want to move aggressively and start to change, like, how much profit you can make on the front end, whether they're going to give you any credits for you know, carrying inventory, whether they're going to help continue to subsidize your advertising. That, that's a big challenge, right? And some of these brands that we've heard from that are going to go all electric. And you know, some of those dealers that have invested in like, uh, the, 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 um, the infrastructure to support in- internal combustion engines might effectively be left behind in this transition. So I think it is creating a lot of angst for dealers, whether it's single rooftop dealers or you know, a group that's got 15 or 25 stores, they're still craving the same thing. It's like, what can I do in this environment of rapid change to understand these elements and then prepare for the, the, the change that's inevitably coming? Wow. And love the visual. It's very, very clear, you know, what we need to be focused on. So, yeah. So, I mean, picking off a couple of those, um, you know, you and I have talked a little bit before about over the air updates. I think, you know, the, the example I love to use is five years ago when Tesla came out with the Model 3, um, Consumer Reports panned the vehicle because they 
um, found that it, its braking was worse than an F-150. And then, you know, in typical Elon Musk fashion, he got on Twitter and he was irate about this, this rating from Consumer Reports. Three days later, he circles back to Consumer Reports and asks them to reevaluate the, 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 the driving dynamics of this vehicle. They, of course, say, no, we, we, we never reevaluate vehicles. Our methodology is very scientific. But he finally convinces them to test the car again. And suddenly, you know, it, 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 it breaks very competitively with its asset class and something like 15 feet shorter to break over a 60 mile per hour to zero braking, braking span. So, um, you know, this really o- opened the eyes of the world that with one software update, you know, nobody physically touched that vehicle. But with a software update to the car, you could change the, the driving dynamics and characteristics of a vehicle. Well, you know, fast forward five years, and it's very common now that, you know, manufacturers, not only Tesla, are talking about all the efficiencies that will be gained by not, not having to bring call, cars in for, for recalls, for warranty work, what have you. You know, anything that they will be able to push a software update and, 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 and um, change, change the characteristics, they'll, they'll be very proactively doing and depending on the consulting firm, you know, so something like a third of the, the warranty work could go away. Most of the recall work could go away, except where they need to actually change hardware in the vehicle. And um, this is going to be uh, definitely an impact to, to dealers, and uh, they, they need to prepare for this. I mean, there's not much that they're going to be able to do. I mean, it's going to be greatly much more convenient for a consumer that whether it's warranty work or a recall, they're going to effectively be alerted the next morning when they go into their car, hey, overnight, we updated the software system, and, and by the way, we corrected these three glitches and um, have fun driving today. But it will mean that these consumers will be coming in less frequently to dealers. And, you know, from a consumer point of view, Steve, what a great time to be a consumer, to have this. I mean, we've never even had the thought of this. And now for the consumer, just uh, this is a great revelation. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, the next one immediately down in that red area you can see on the screen is servicing of vehicles. And as we said earlier, I mean, these EVs, although it's a very, very small percentage of vehicles in operation, and even, you know, when EVs get to a, being a substantial percentage of new car sales every year, we're still going to have the vast majority of cars in operation are going to be you know, internal combustion engine vehicles, ICE vehicles. But having said that, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes coming to dealer service base. Um, these cars are going to have f- fewer uh, uh, or longer service intervals. They, they won't be in the shop nearly as much. Um, you know, fewer part sales to these these uh, these the vehicles and the vehicle owners and the folks that are working on them. But the flip side is you're going to need very specialized technician skill. You're going to need very specialized tools. So I think the countervailing force will be when when we are working on these cars, the billable rate will be higher. Um, and I also think that um, we're going to see a, a pretty massive reduction in the defection rate at the end of the warranty period, because I think the independent shops just aren't going to have the technician sophistication nor the tools to work on these cars. And um, so I think from a, from a, from a, a frequency standpoint, probably see the cars less frequently but the, the, the average repair bill might be higher. And mm-hmm. also the loyalty back to franchise dealers could be much higher, which is you know, a great uh, off-putting sort of like countervailing effect. 
Les Silver was on the show back in May, uh, just after you spoke, and he did a whole segment on uh, parts and service uh, preparing for EVs. And th- he did a study and looked at that average repair order dollar amount, looked at what was being paid on the uh, on the Tesla side. He saw that the average repair order will be significantly higher uh, now on uh, on EVs. And uh, he told our audience about that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Les. Great guy. Um, definitely has tremendous amount of subject matter expertise in the industry. And I, I think he's right on 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, so the last one I'll touch on here is just like, as you said earlier, like the, what they're calling the agency model. And, um, you know, de- dealers need to be finely attuned to what their OEM or OEMs are doing overseas. Um, most notably, you know, Stellantis, uh, the Fiat Chrysler, um, Dodge, Jeep, Ram brands um, effectively terminated all 15,000 of their franchise dealers in, um, in Europe uh, in, back in June and told them basically that, hey, you're still going to be able to represent us and represent the brand. But, um, you know, we're kind of tearing up the franchise agreements and we're replacing it with an agency agreement. And the differences at a high level are effectively, you know, mm. you, you'll no longer take any inventory risk. You won't be stocking cars. Um, you know, we, we'll be handling advertising. So your cost to advertise will be lower. But now we'll advertise and try to get consumers to come to our website to pre-order vehicles. You'll still be a point of delivery, but you'll have very little or limited consumer interaction around a car sale. But we still want you to drive and, you know, service these vehicles after they are sold, et cetera. So you'll still have a lifetime value of the customer. But as you can imagine, it's causing a, a lot of anxiety. You know, Mercedes-Benz has moved over to this mo- same model in Aus- Australia. And now we've got a big lawsuit where the majority of Austra- Australian dealers are suing Mercedes-Benz. Um, but, you know, as, as I always tell dealers here in America when I meet with them, these are the same OEMs in the same boardrooms who are looking at a global map and deciding what are they going to do s- a country by country. And so while we, we do have state franchise laws that are yes. very defensible and, you know, protect the dealers here from a franchisee standpoint, I do think you're going to see elements of um, uh, manufacturers pushing as aggressively as they can to one where they own the consumer experience. Um, they get consumers to pre-order vehicles. We've seen evidence of this, you know, with the Hummer, uh, the electric Hummer pickup truck with the F-150 Lightning, with the Mach-E. Um, you know, very much more like a Tesla experience where you get online, you configure the car you want, and the, they'll still use dealers to deliver the vehicles. But, you know, in terms of all of the other profit centers associated with that car sale, the trade, financing of the vehicle, F&I products, I think that's all to be determined, you know, if all of that will get pre-negotiated uh, effectively with the OEM before that consumer ever walks into the dealership. And if so... How, if anything, will that revenue be shared back to the dealer? Wow. What a discussion. And you're right. The dealer franchise laws here in the United States uh, are strong. And we're going to see um, we're going to see how how much the OEMs want to push the envelope and how how much the dealers are going to push back on that. So uh, I guess we're all going to stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. The last thing I'll mention, Ted, if we got a minute, is like subscriptions are the great hope to me. Right. So okay. offsetting all of these things is like if we can condition a consumer who now pays for their Disney Plus and their yes. Netflix subscriptions, et cetera, to think of their car more as a device onto which they can add a- applications, apps, and you know, subscriptions, as, as many of the OEMs are saying. I mean, you saw recently that BMW overseas, for example, is building heated seat functionality into the car uh, and then allowing the consumer to either pay up front for that functionality or 
pay per month as needed. And I think, you know, this, this opens an entirely new world. Porsche has talked about, hey, for some of their models, you'll be able to unlock another 50 horsepower. Um, I, I know that, for example, Audi has talked about uh, unlocking a battery range. When you run out at the side of the road, you'll be able to pay $100 and get another 50 miles on your, on your battery. All of these things are new revenue streams, high profit margin. Um, what we don't know is how that revenue will be shared between the OEM and the dealer. For those OEMs that um, you know, bring the dealer into the equation, this could be a brand new high margin revenue stream for dealers that make them much more profitable in the past. But I think, I think we'll see how it plays out. There'll be some OEMs that aren't willing to share too much back with the dealers. There'll be some OEMs that are very generous. But I think in terms of brand new high margin revenue streams, the subscription model and all these features gets me probably most excited. And Steve, one of the panels we have here at this event at the Roaring Twenties uh, is a panel on EV readiness, which includes the conversation about a subscription model uh, for maintaining that the EV vehicle. And uh, it is not the OEMs who are, are the ones behind that. It's on the dealer's side. So uh, a lot of good discussion about that. That's great to hear. And I, I, I love it because I think too often dealers feel they're at the whim here of OEM decisions. And there's a, there's a tremendous amount that dealers can be doing from their level. Love it. Great information, Steve. Thank you. So I think that's pretty much all I have, Ted, unless you got additional questions. I uh, just wanted to provide my contact information. Like I said, happy to send anyone a book. Just reach out to me. Um, you can find me online. And uh, I'm just really honored to be here, Ted, and really appreciate everything that you do for the industry. Steve, equally honored to have you with our audience and uh, everybody. We highly recommend the book, The Future of Automotive Retail. Uh, the author is here with us today. Steve Greenfield from Automotive Ventures has just given us a glimpse into some of the things that are coming rapidly in our industry. And uh, it's pretty obvious to see what the low hanging fruit is. And uh, Steve, on behalf of the Fixed Ops Roundtable, I want to thank you so much for your time today. And uh, if our audience wants to reach out to you, of course, they can get the book, as you mentioned, uh, on Amazon as well. But uh, I see uh, your website as well, uh, automotiveventures.com. And uh, you're also on social media, a very big player on LinkedIn. Yeah. And Steve at automotiveventures.com, if you'd like to email me as well. Great. Steve Greenfield, on behalf of the Fixed Ops community, thank you so much today. Thank you, Ted. Thanks for having me today. Great. 